0: And welcome to Bad Decisions,
1: the podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose,
0: why we think what we think, and
1: how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain.
0: I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg, I'm a performance psychologist.
1: And I'm Dan Monheit, co founder of Hard Hat.
0: So, Dan, today I would like to introduce you and our listening audience to a man by the name of Edward Thorndike.
1: Eddie Thorndyke.
0: <laughs> you can call him Eddie if you like.
1: Name. Destined for greatness with a name like that.
0: Edward Thorndike. So he was an American psychologist and he was doing a lot of work in the late 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. He is typically known for his work uh, around the law of effect. Cool. Yeah, the well, law of effect. One of my favourite laws. <laughs> one yeah, of your favourite yes. laws. And the law of effect basically states that any behaviour that's followed by pleasant consequences is likely to be repeated and any behaviour that's followed by unpleasant consequences is likely to be stopped. <laughs> Wait, that's a law. Yep. <laughs> and back in the late 1800s, this was huge news.
1: Wow, that was, this was like some sort of a like gold rush. Like To <laughs> right. be a psychologist in the 1800s, you could be like, God, okay, so I'm easy. famous for the first person that called out That if something has a reward at the end, people are going to do it more.
0: Now, look, people typically. Wait, 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 no, 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 I'm not done. And if
1: somebody gets punished for something, they are less likely to to do it. it Yeah, and people are going to talk about me saying this 150 years from now.
0: But, like, as basic as it may seem, this stuff needed research. Right. Right? This needed evidence to back it up.
1: Because maybe putting your hand in fire is a thing that you would just repeat over and over again.
0: So, here's what Thorndike did. Thorndike and the law of effect was basically the precursor to what we understand as operant conditioning. So, mm-hmm. people who have done some sort of undergraduate or high school sort of psychology are pretty familiar with the idea of operant conditioning. This is the idea based around reward and punishment, that if we reinforce certain behaviours, people will do them again. And yep. if we punish, right, yeah. they won't. Right? It's really important when it comes to parenting. You love parenting, right? Training,
1: Training animals and training children.
0: So, Thorndike did this. And typically, when we think of operant conditioning, people think of Skinner. And the Skinner oh, the box, box. The Skinner box. Yeah, the Skinner yep. box. Right. But before that, there was the Thorndike box. What? Yeah.
1: Simple <laughs> thing, just less catchy name. The so,
0: Thorndike box. Thorndike was putting, putting- was putting. Well, it was a box of cats oh. or single cats.
1: See, where Skinner really. really took the- <laughs> Skinner did dogs, right?
0: No, Pavlov did dogs. Oh, what did Skinner do? Skinner was do? doing pigeons or rats.
1: Oh, anyway. Okay. Rats pressing
0: levers. Keep so, going. <laughs> so, you know, um, people think of like rats and stats- when they think people of like... Think of that? Sorry. I think of that and I've been told that when people talk about like what first year psychology is about, yeah. it's rats and stats. It's no. basically doing experiments with animals and research methods. It's not cats and stats? Well, it was cats and stats right. when Thorndike was doing stuff. I'm going to do bats and stats. <laughs> you are weird. <laughs> yes. However, so what, what Thorndike was doing was putting a cat in a box and there was a bunch of different things that the cat could essentially play with or I guess interact with. But just sitting just outside the cat box was a fish. And we all know cats want to eat fish,
1: like you know, like in a fish bowl. Like it was just sitting cat, there. It was like, like, a dead fish. Basically,
0: giving it, it was an, a fish that was available for the cat to eat. Yeah. Okay. Right. Obviously, the cat wants to get to the fish, so that provides the motivation to get out of the box. Yeah. So the cat's interacting with all the things in the box, and it presses a lever. Yeah. And the lever releases a catch. The door opens. The cat gets out. Gets the fish. Reward. Boom. Okay. You put the cat back in the box. Doesn't have to play around very much, it quickly figures, all right, I know what I want, I know how to get it, I'll press the lever, out we go, I get my fish. Yeah. Okay, so basically Thorndike was showing that that the cat can actually learn how to escape by giving it a reward afterwards. Mm-hmm. Once Thorndike had finished playing with all the cats yeah. <laughs> and the fish yes. <laughs> and feeding the fish to the cats, he extended his thinking to you know, to wonder how this would apply to people.
1: Who's like, so i finished with the the middle of the animal kingdom and I'm going yeah. straight to the top now. Straight,
0: straight to the humans, yeah. right? And more straight to children. So principles of reward or punishment. So his work has influenced the way that we think about what is good and what is bad.
1: Right. And it's, I mean, it's funny, in the way you say it, it sounds like th- there's this binary kind of worldview that some things lead to... Good outcomes and some things lead to bad outcomes and that's the end.
0: Well, pretty much that's how it is when we're little. Like, in terms of how much our brain can take on when we're little, like, we it's helpful for us to think in binary terms, good or bad, right or wrong. That's about the extent to which we can conceptualise things.
1: Yeah, and I, so I guess if I think about kids' stories or fables or, or fairy tales and things like that, there are always very good characters in those mm-hmm. who, you know, are also usually very good-looking or handsome or beautiful, um, handsome prince and the, the beautiful princess. Yeah. And then there's also... Bad people. Mm, um, Bad characters. uh, Ugly stepsisters or like deformed baddies or you know, Gargamel. I'll get you, I'll get all of you if it's
0: the last thing I ever do. Yeah, I remember Garth. Yeah, you know. they—they yeah. so they never look quite right. There's no, there's no handsome baddies. But all you have to think about is the ugly stepsisters. Yeah. Right. The contrast between the beautiful Cinderella. Yeah. And her ugly stepsisters. Or he man and Skeletor. Like it's just not. It's yeah. the, if It's not a yeah. fair beauty fight. So, <laughs> so these dichotomies. Influence the way that we're taught as children, right? So we're very sort of ingrained to believe that there is good or bad, there is right or wrong, and also that good good is associated with other good things, other things that we perceive as good, like beauty, like intelligence,
1: being funny, and all those sorts of things, right?
0: And bad is associated with being ugly, with being evil, with being nasty, selfish, yeah, all of those things. Yeah. So this is where some of Thorndike's more influential work. In the field of cognitive biases Comes in Yeah Because in the a
1: heuristic coming on
0: <laughs> There is a heuristic coming I on I feel a Beyonce track coming on Do you? Yeah, what do we got? We got the halo effect do everything I need So the halo effect describes the tendency for positive impressions that we have of a person or perhaps a brand, to positively influence the opinion that we have about them in other areas. So like what we just said, that if we think that somebody is physically attractive, we're also more likely to think that they're intelligent, that they're funny, that they're just a generally really good person.
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, feels like a weird thing to admit, but I think we all know we've had the experience. Maybe somebody turns up for a job interview or you meet somebody new in a corporate setting and they're well-dressed and you just therefore assume that, they you know, they've got a little bit of a little bit of a head start in how you think about how they might be able to perform their job, even though dressing well might have nothing to do with being a great copywriter or a great artist or a great programmer or even a great salesperson.
0: Yeah, I mean, the halo effect is fundamentally at the like at the origin. It's where stereotypes start. Yeah, right. We think of one positive thing, and then that sort of brings to mind all these other positive things. Or the flip side is that we think of one negative thing, and that lights up all these other negative attributes about a person. A so, dirty halo judge. <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually known as the horn effect. The horn effect. The horn effect is the opposite wow. of the halo effect. Oh, not like a <laughs> horn, like a like a devil, like a devil's horn. Devil's yeah, horn, that's yeah. where it comes from. So, may I offer you some research? Uh, you know I love like research. <laughs> Let's do some research. So Thorndike's 1920 research, in which he started talking about the halo effect, was based on his observations that people were disproportionately rating other people on factors that they didn't know anything about based on limited information. Simply, what he did was he asked commanders in the army to rate their subordinates, so mm-hmm. to rate their soldiers, basically on different characteristics, and he actually specifically asked them to rate them you know, independently on four qualities. Yeah. So, he asked to rate them on their intelligence, their physique, their character, and their leadership. Yep. He specifically said to them, don't let your answers influence each other, you know? Like, I just want you to rate them on their intelligence, not on anything else.
1: Yeah. So, can you just give me those four again?
0: Intelligence. Yes. Physique. Yes. Character. Yep. And leadership. Yeah. Now- Some of these should be related to each other, like intelligence and leadership usually go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. right? And character and leadership usually go hand in hand. But what Thorndike found was that the correlations between the ratings um, made by these commanders were way higher than they should have been for things like intelligence and physique,
1: so, sorry, so what you're saying is if they rated somebody as high as having good physique, then yep. they also were far more likely to rate them as highly intelligent or highly charismatic Yeah, but also like
0: leaders. too intelligent, yeah. like even more intelligent than they're supposed to be. Yeah, okay. And they should. So, um, so, yeah, so their ratings on these four qualities were hugely correlated, right, yes. to a point that's just not realistic.
1: And when you say hugely co- correlated to the non Doctors amongst us, so I guess what we mean by that they is- they were too
0: strongly associated. <laughs> yeah, so
1: so basically, somebody came out as high on all four or yep. low on all
0: four, pretty much. When yep.
1: re- like really, that should be kind of mixed, right? So
0: it reminds me of like having rose-colored glasses that yes. when you see somebody as intelligent, you're also going to see them as attractive, in this and this and this, right? As opposed to what I refer to as crap-colored glasses. So when right. <laughs> this is the thorn, the horn effect. Right. I keep getting horn and thorndike.
1: Yes. Yeah. Horndyke. Anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Not his name. No. <laughs> but the idea that yeah, when you think something negative about somebody. Or when something looks crap, everything's just crap. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So so Thorndike found out that uh, behaviors that get rewarded get repeated more often than those that mm-hmm. don't. And also found out that you really should judge a book. Well, we do judge a book by its cover.
0: Yeah. Pioneering. How, Pioneering how work, Thorndike. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it's interesting because that intuitively makes sense, and then it's interesting to look at the research. Well, it's interesting for you to look at the research and yeah. tell me what you found. <laughs> that yeah. So if if you're rating people and you rate them as good looking, you are naturally going to also give them a head start in you think that they're charismatic and competent. And yeah. So from a I guess a, a brands or a business perspective, for me this comes to light in. in two different ways. One of the the first things this makes me think about is 20 years ago uh, when I was working at a Nike factory outlet, um, I was there at the time when Nike launched a new cushioning technology, which was called Nike Shocks.
0: Well, wow, um, you're old. Huh? You're old. Yeah,
1: very <laughs> old. Um, and so that, they had these things called Nike shocks, which they, they're still kind of around. A lot of them are coming out in retro models now. And as opposed to air cushioning, shocks were these kind of almost like springs. They were like these little mini columns with had some sort of magical gel or something in them. Mm-hmm. And these things had, if I remember correctly, sixteen years of R and D, which is basically half of Nike's life yeah. at the time. Right, sixteen years of R and D had gone into them, hundreds and millions of dollars in research. And when they were released, leashed, they came out at at the time an eye wateringly high price point of $300 for a pair of shoes yeah. which 20 years ago was just insane. Yeah. And do you know how these things sold? Tell me. Horrifically. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> in fact
1: the year that they came out uh, for for the Christmas when, when Christmas rolled around every employee in Australia got a free pair of Nike shocks right. because they just couldn't clear them, right? right. 300 oh my bucks God. people just weren't willing to pay for it. Yeah. But at the same time as this was happening the business was selling Thousands and thousands of pairs of, you know, the $79 cross trainers at Rebel Sport. Okay, you know, and it sort of really crystallized for me this idea, this was very early on that what we sell and what people buy are usually not the same thing, right? right? It's like leakage,
0: it's like a spillover effect.
1: Well, it's like, exactly, because if you didn't have the three hundred dollars shoes that nobody bought with sixteen years and billions of dollars of r and d in it, nobody's interested in buying the seventy nine dollars cross trainers just to <laughs> right. try and get get a piece of the same brand that did it. Yeah, so what we sell and what people buy are usually not the same thing.
0: Yeah, so Nike Shocks are like the best marketing fail that ever happened for Nike.
1: Well I mean yeah I guess you, you could you could say that like I, they're, they're one of those things that really cemented at the time people's view of them as a pioneering innovative technology first mm-hmm. sporting company, mm-hmm. even though in reality the direct if you look at the direct sales of those shoes, they didn't do very well. Okay.
0: This plays out in other areas. Well, like there are other examples of this throughout.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this idea that because a company did one thing great, they do lots of other things great is everywhere. Yeah. One of the most commonly cited examples is what happened with the iPod. So back in 2004, we got granted the fourth generation iPod, which basically is where iPod went mainstream. So the fourth generation iPod was the, the first one with the color screen and you could have like little pictures on there as okay. well. Um, and for like a lot of people, that was the first iPod. That they had. So we were okay. all still using our PC computers mainly, uh, but iPods. I don't know about
0: you, I was using CDs for music, not yeah, iPods.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> shitty MP3 player. But the, the 2004 fourth generation iPod was really the one that kind of went berserk. Okay. And so a funny thing happened the, the following year, sales of Apple's computers went up 68%. Right, but right, they weren't really new computers. But people had seen the iPod and said, "Holy crap! Whatever company made this must They're be doing some unbelievable." Really cool stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go and halo, like take the, the halo, the shine off the iPod, and go and apply it to other things in this com- company's range. Yeah, um, same thing happens with music as well. When an artist brings out um, a new song or a new album and it does really well, not surprisingly, their back catalogue sales usually tend to go up as well. Right, um, because. The halo effect says, well, the new song's good, so the old stuff must be pretty good as well.
0: Right, so the halo effect is super powerful in marketing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's one one way that it plays out for brands, that we have to be mindful that what we sell and what people buy aren't necessarily the same thing. Yeah. The other place where I think it plays out is particularly around first impressions, because mm-hmm. right? this whole heuristic really is about first impressions count. For sure, right? yeah. So when I think about the disproportionate impact first impressions can have, so if you have heard about a brand, you go onto their website, you try to use the search feature on their website. And there's actually some really interesting research, which I won't quote like you would, but trust me, there's research on this, (laughs) that if people try and use a search function on a website and the search function is crap, you straight away deduce that the whole website is crap. Yeah. And then by extension that this company is crap. Yeah. Right? If you try and call a business to um, speak to one of their customer service representatives mm. and they leave you on hold for a long time. Been there. Your association <laughs> is going to be, this business is slow and can't get shit Inefective. done and is running inefficiently and is running yep. ineffectively. And, and that's my, my, my whole yep. view on it. I also think about customer onboarding processes. So if you're letting customers onboard themselves through a website, mm-hmm. what the, the simplicity or difficulty of that, says about the company as a whole. The company that is hard to sign up with is probably going to be a hard company to deal with. And it's probably going to be not that good at actually delivering their core service, even though the two probably don't have that much to do with each other.
0: Yeah. And we've talked before about like, you know, in the context of how important first impressions are, we've talked before about how we're really simple in the way that we'll take a first impression and we will generalize that to other aspects of a person's, of somebody's personality, of other things that they're good or bad at. And look, We mentioned at the start about how important that is to us, about how ingrained that is. That's the way that we learn things. Because grey is hard.
1: Grey is really hard. Black is easy.
0: White's easy. Grey's like I don't know. But this is where this is where these shortcuts come from. Yeah. From like basically shortcuts we use because life is hard. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So it's not going away, right? Halo effect is for real. We and we're all vulnerable to it. All vulnerable, even if
0: we know. That we're vulnerable to it, we're still vulnerable to it.
1: Exactly. So, really, what this tells us is that that old sort of saying that first impressions count mm. is is absolutely true. Mm. And so, we have to be mindful on what are the first impressions that we're going to make, knowing that they can have a far bigger impact than we might realise.
0: Yeah. And then, so going back to like the human, mm-hmm. the night, you know, the, the, just the general day to day person experience of what we do, if we're aware of the halo effect, it's about the way that we judge people. Yeah. Right? If we're talking about the way that we make impressions of people or the way that we treat other people, it's fundamentally about questioning ourselves and challenging our view of that person and go, hang on, do I have evidence to actually back up that this is true about a person or is this the halo effect?
1: Yeah. And- I'm really where I thought you were going with this is knowing that people are gonna judge you on your first impression,
0: mm-hmm. like just Make brush, that important. brush your hair. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Wear something <laughs> <it> nice. <laughs> have a firm handshake Smile. and look people in the eye. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it matters. And yeah. maybe if you do have negative things about yourself, maybe just hold off till the second meeting when you tell people about them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give only positive things on a first date. Yeah. yeah no need to tell people too much about yourself too early. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that is sound advice.
0: <laughs> that's dating advice. Yeah. Plus marketing advice, plus parenting advice. This episode really has it all.
1: So from a brand perspective, what I think we should do about this, what I would encourage encourage my clients, what I encourage other businesses to do is look for your Nike shocks equivalent, right? Look for your thing that people are going to see from a distance and say, holy crap, even if I don't buy that thing, I want to buy something from the company that made that. Mm. I think there's a saying in the car industry, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, you know? So for... Car manufacturers to make super high-powered race cars or crazy concept cars that they're now actually going to move units of yeah. um, does help move the everyday um, station wagons and SUVs that mum and dad's gone by because they want a little piece of that halo haloed magic. I, I would also say within that, if you're going to think about making something great and really focusing on doing something that is, is going to make you famous and epitomise what your organisation is all about, you get bonus points if you put it as the first interaction that people are going to have with your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. knowing that the earlier on that interaction and that impression is formed, the more important it's going to be for people's long-term perceptions of your business or brand. Sounds good. So if you're a person, brush your hair. If you're a brand, brush your hair.
0: <laughs> Same thing applies.
1: <laughs> yes. All right, is that a wrap on the halo effect?
0: I think that's all we got. All
1: right, we got that textbook definition one more time.
0: Halo effect is the tendency for positive impressions that we have about a person or a single positive impression to unduly influence other. Aspects, all the things that we think about that person.
1: Yeah. So if you're a brand, give people a positive thing to have an unduly large impression about. Sounds good. And if you're a person,
0: <laughs> do the same thing. Do the same thing.
1: <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh hope you've enjoyed that. I uh, learned a lot. I learned a lot. So say everybody must have learned a lot. People must also think we're pretty good looking.
0: Yeah. They'd be right.
1: And generous. Yeah. And funny. We're hilarious. Hilarious.
0: Don't forget intelligent. I think we should wind this down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next time. Bye.